Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 18, 19, and 20 this evening. Um, I'm going to go back to my style of reading the chapter completely and then come back and highlight a particular verse and concentrate on about three different issues that we can glean from the Proverbs. Again, uh, Solomon is the author, and we're going to be going to one of his stories tonight as we dive in. But on Sunday, our text, of course, was Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And of course, that is clearly about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, he's God, and yes, he's Lord, and yes, he's Savior, yes, he's the King of Kings, he's all of the above. But he really wants, like the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And there's the misrepresentation in many places today, especially Christian TV, we see such poor examples of that being exhibited, that friendship basis where the Lord says, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. Because everything that the Father has told me, I'm telling you. And so there's, there's nothing, there's no page left unturned as far as, as how to live. The Bible tells us how to live. It's our job as his sheep. Like you said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from him. We're told to labor in the word. That means taking time and actually seriously going through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse and and actually laboring in it until you got it down to such a way that the Lord could minister to you at any given moment simply by bringing a scripture to mind. We're told that to bring every thought into captivity. Now, why would it tell us to do that? Because at any given time, you got three entities that could be speaking to you. One is yourself. You ever give yourself a good talking to? I've given myself a lot of good talking to, just being one and one. And then, of course, there's the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, always making suggestions, always getting us to try to sin. And then, of course, there's the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible says bring every thought into captivity, that means before it comes out here, you better make sure that you've sifted it through the sieve of God's word. But you have to know God's word in order for it to to be applicable. So you have to know the scriptures in order to bring the thought process into captivity and you go, that's clearly my flesh, that's clearly the enemy, and that's clearly the Lord. And, um, but again, there's no fast track and easy way of doing this except diving in and just read the scriptures, believe that if we simply teach the Bible simply, that God is able to use it to um, learn how to live the Christian life, being changed from glory to glory into his image, being washed in his word, You can get your feet awful dirty these days um, in the world in which we're living. And so we come for a Wednesday night Bible study and um, we get washed, so to speak. So let's get washed. Here we go. Chapter 18, verse 1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his, his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. And a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are a snare of his soul. And the words of a tale bearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the innermost body. So every one of these verses so far, we could stop and give a Bible study on. I'll come back and we're going to pick just one verse out of this and run with it. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. And we sing that song, you are my 
hiding place. And um, the rich man's wealth is, is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own esteem. Now, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. And he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? And the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge. In the ear of the wise, they seek knowledge. A man's great gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead the cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contention to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips he will be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Probably the tongue and, and speech is brought up more by Solomon in the Proverbs than, than any other single topic. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's a big issue right now. Um, I was watching the news tonight, this uh, uh, city clerk gal, I think some, somewhere in the south who's turning down um, marriage licenses uh, to um, uh, homosexuals who are coming in and demanding it. And uh, she just won't buckle. And um, she's taking a heat. We've been seeing this on the horizon. Gonna, it was going to happen sooner or later. But she says, she's a, she's a believer. And um, she just says, sorry, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to allow it. And the, the TV tonight, it showed these two guys really getting in her face and and railing on her, and she says, sorry, it's not going to happen. I'm a Christian. It violates my, my, my morals and my ethics, and I'm simply not going to do it. I guess to get her out, that's got to go all the way to the state level and, and uh, have her removed, uh, and they say that's not going to happen. Um, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich man answers roughly, and then our verse from last Sunday, a man who has friends, must himself be friendly. How, how do people perceive you when, when, when you're around? Do they like hanging with you? Or is it, oh, oh here he comes or here she comes? <laughs> but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The verse that I want to take here, I want to talk about Herod the Great as an example, comes from verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. And I thought, Lord, give me a New Testament uh, application for this. And immediately I, I thought of Herod. And um, I'm going to have you turn to Matthew 2 because there's different Herods uh, mentioned, and I don't want you to be confused between the two. The Herod in verse 1 of Matthew 2 says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came from the east to, came to Jerusalem. Now this would be Herod the Great. And he would be the, the one who, in verse 16, it says, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and he put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Now again, prophecy, usually when, I, when we say prophecy or prophecy conference, you think of current events. Uh, in actuality, um, prophecy, most of the time, is referring to events foretold in the Old Testament that were actually fulfilled during Jesus' time. Many. Often Jesus would say, it is written. And here's one of those cases where we have an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled by Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, 
lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Uh, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, remember Joseph was warned in a dream to hightail it, and they, they went to Egypt. And they stayed there until Herod was dead. And then it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Now this is Herod the Great. They just discovered his tomb within the last four years. They've been searching for it for many, many years. Um, He was a master builder. Uh, He is responsible for Masada um, and its glory. There was also a place um, called Herodian, and it was one of his summer palaces, complete with swimming pool and a whole nine yards. And um, that's what they thought it was. And they they almost found it a couple times, but four years ago they actually found um, his tomb. So, but that's Herod the Great. This is the one who killed the children. There's a reference made to him in Revelation chapter 12. It says uh, there's a, um, a woman, um, a male child, and a fiery red dragon. And um, the woman would be Israel, the man child would be Jesus, and the fiery red dragon, as told at verse nine, it tells us is the devil himself. But in Revelation 12 it says as soon as a child was born. It says that, um, well, I don't remember exactly word for word. I want to give it to you word for word, so it's really easy for me just to flip a couple of pages. Chapter 12 is right here, and it says, and she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, that would be the woman, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and it says, um, in verse four, that Lucifer drew a third of the stars of heaven, that would be the angels, threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood there before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born, but he was caught up to heaven. Well, what happened is that this is a fulfillment of what we just read in Matthew 2, but it says it was the devil, and what uh, we can understand because of this verse is that uh, the enemy can use a Hitler. I believe Satan is directly responsible for the, the 6,000 Jews killed in, in, um, during World War II. Here, Revelation 12 tells us that the devil was the one who motivated King Herod to kill the, the children that were there. So we have demonic forces at work. All right, I, I went here first because now I'm going to talk about Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa, uh, and um, the verse that we read from uh, verse 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. I want to talk about the day Herod Agrippa died, and his haughtiness, and the pride that was there, and the reason the Lord took him down. So to do that, we need to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 12, And we're going to pretty much go through the chapter because it says Herod, again in verse 1, now about the time Herod the king. Well, it's not Herod the Great, so I don't want you to be confused. This is Herod Agrippa. Uh, He stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, and they killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, the martyrs were very few up to this point, Stephen being the first one. And... uh, then he had James, so James and John. James was killed. And because it could have been the other James, but, um, verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, well, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Uh, he looked around, they, they're, they're liking the fact that we're persecuting the Christians, so now they're going for the leader, which would have been Peter. And uh, they apprehended him, put him in prison, delivered him to four squadrons of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. 
Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church, and when Herod was about to bring him out, the night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, the guards before the doors were keeping the, uh, the prisoner. So he's under heavy security watch, all chained up. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side. I would have loved to have seen that. Can you imagine getting kicked by an angel? <laughs> and uh, kicked him on the side, raised him up, saying, Get up, quickly. And his chains just fall off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Get up, uh, gird yourself, put on your sandals. And so he did. And then he said, Put on your garments and follow him. Here's an angel telling you how to get dressed. And so he went out and followed him, and he did not know what was done by the angel was real. He didn't know. He thought he was dreaming or something, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first of the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opens to them of its own accord. And they went out and went out into the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So now Peter's all by himself. What am I going to do now? Well, where, where's the church hanging out tonight? And uh, when he came to himself, now, he says, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, one of my very good friends growing up. There were three of us, me, Pat Gahan, and John Mark. Um, still pray for John. Um, Pat got saved. I don't think John is yet. So Lord, I pray for John Mark tonight in Jesus' name. Where many were gathered together praying. So this is one of the, to me, one of the more humorous stories in the Bible. They're having a prayer meeting. They're praying for Peter. Oh, Lord, deliver Peter from prison. So an angel does just that. And Peter goes and knocks on the door and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open, open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now, this is great. She doesn't open the door. She recognizes his voice. She just is all excited, doesn't know what to say, and turns around and um, uh, goes back in and said, it's Peter. And um, they said to her, you're beside yourself. Uh, yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, oh, it's his angel. So... I made mention of this last week. Concerning angels, it says, are they not ministering spirits sent to those who are going to be heirs of salvation? Which gives you a pretty good um, doctrine that you have a guardian angel or maybe designated supposedly to you. And they mentioned it here and they said, oh, no, it's just his angel." Uh, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Boy, the faith in that prayer meeting, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord, please free Peter from jail. And he's there, and uh, can't be him, must be his angel. But, but motioning to them with his hands to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go tell these things to James and to, to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. So when I said in verse, they killed James, this could not, um, uh, the, the brother of John, that would have been James and John. And he parted and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter, because he was under heavy guard. Now this is where I had to tell you that much of the story because now Herod comes into the picture. But when Herod had searched for him and had found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now, in November, our very first stop is going to be in Caesarea. We're going to go into an amphitheater that as, if this is the amphitheater and the seating is here, the Mediterranean Ocean, oh, is a couple hundred yards right in front of you. And so... Whether this is uh, the spot where Herod went to and spoke from, we don't know for sure. Um, but this is 
the, the proverb that says before destruction, there's this haughtiness, there's this pride, and this is where it comes in with Herod. And this is actually how Herod Agrippa died. So verse 20, the setting is no longer Jerusalem. We're on the coast in Caesarea. And um, I believe I know this spot because there, when we go to this amphitheater, there is a place where they would have put um, the, the king's throne or it would have been his spot. So verse 20. When Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sodom, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king, Chamberlain their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So they set a day, and Herod arrived in royal apparel on his throne, and he gave an orientation to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and it was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they took with them John whose surname was Mark. Josephus writes about this particular event and um, it, there's going to appear to be a contradiction, but not both could be true. This for sure is true. Um, and let me read what Josephus has to, to say about this. Agrippa the first is known in the New Testament for his persecution of the early church in order to curry favors of the Jews. Um, I got this, by the way, out of my <clears throat> Zondervan Biblical Encyclopedias. He killed James, the son of Zebedee, and imprisoned Peter, who was released by an angel. Agrippa had, um, had him um, sentenced to be put to death. Agrippa died in 44 in Caesarea, and according to Josephus, on the second day of a festival, he appeared in the theater, and that's why I think that the spot that we go to is actually where this took place, with a robe made holy of silver, and when the robe sparkled in the sun, the people cried out flatteries, declaring him to be a god, and entreated him to have mercy upon them. And while the king allowed himself to be carried away with all the flatteries, he noticed an owl on a a rope, which was an omen that he would die very soon. Immediately, he had severe stomach pains and was carried to his house, and there it says he died five days later. Luke states that he was in Caesarea, sitting on the judgment seat, dressed in his royal robes, addressing ambassadors from Tyre and Sidon, with whom he was displeased. And while speaking, the people called out, stating that it's the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he did not give the glory to God. He was eaten of worms, and he died. The principal parts of the two accounts are the scene of the incident was in Caesarea. He was wearing a brilliant robe. He was cheered and flattered by the people and sudden death came upon him. It may be well, uh, it, it may well be that Agrippa went to the festival as mentioned by Josephus on the second day. It says that on appointed day, dressed in royal apparel, he made this or- or- oration to the ambassadors. Also, it could be a period of five days from the time he was smitten by the angel of the Lord until he died. And according to the Zondervan, they don't see a conflict. They actually think both could happen. Whether it was, it appears to me in reading it from, from Acts' account that he died on a spot and um, he was eaten by worms from the inside out. How is that for... After, after your supper news. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the Proverbs. So Proverbs 18, verse 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is, is humility. That was exactly the case with Herod Agrippa. He took there, and he, as the people were just laying it on, you're the greatest thing, you're not even a man, you're a god, and... Uh, you know, he's just sucking it all up. And um, the Lord says, well, enough of that. And he, he took him out on the spot. 
It reminds me, um, another good example that we could have used is uh, Belshazzar on the night that Babylon fell. It fell in one night, and he mocked God, and he was haughty, and he brought out the golden vessels, and um, he had everybody, it was a big orgy, big party, and they didn't know. The handwriting came out on the wall and says, you've been measured, buddy, and you've been found wanting, and, you've been, and the kingdom's been divided between the Medes and the Persians. That very night he died, because he, he was mocking God instead of giving the glory to God. Chapter 19, let's read through it. I'll come back and we'll, I think I picked out two things I want to touch on in in chapter 19. So, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and a fool. Also, it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a man twists his ways and his heart frets against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from a friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who has gifts, and all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished. That's repeated, as was mentioned once earlier. And he who speaks lies will perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, and his favor is like dew on the grass, and a foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now slothfulness casts one into deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandments keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. And he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Chastise your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his desire and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that's what will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness, And a poor man is better than a liar. And the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A slothful man buries his hand in a bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Reprove one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. And he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A uh, a disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers, and beatings are for the backs of fools. Let's go back and look at 5 and 24. Real practical um, thing about work ethics that are in the Proverbs. It just says a slothful, uh, slothfulness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Then look down at verse 24. 
Also a slothful man buries his hand in a bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Um, Paul talked about the importance of hard work, but before we go there, just go back to Proverbs chapter six. Just flip back there. And we're just gonna read about five or six verses. I was playing ball on, what's today, Wednesday? Monday. And um, I was stretching out to, to, to get right down in the grass, like grabbing the grass, so I, I do not want to, it was our last game of the year, and I did not want to pull a hamstring or any muscles at all, so I, I want to stretch out. But there was this bee there, and uh, there was this clover, and I watched him for about 10 minutes. He didn't move all the time I was there, no further than the top of my, and I was about a 15-minute stretch out. But all the while I was there, here, I'm watching this bee, I'm keeping an eye on him because I don't want to get stung either. But uh, he was busy going from one flower to the next one, and then to the next one, these clovers, then the next one, and the next one. And all the while I was stretching out, that, that's what he was doing. And um, I was considering the bee, and he's, he's busy as a bee, you know. <laughs> well, here we're told in, in Proverbs 6, verse 6, uh, consider the ant. Uh, consider her ways and be wise. So we're actually told in the Bible to look at these creatures and you learn something. They don't have a captain overseeing or ruler, but provides her supply in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest, and then it says, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? (laughs) When will you arise from the sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall your poverty come on you like a robber. Um, so here we have the Proverbs telling us just to look at um, the, the, these ants, what they can do, what they can accomplish, how organized they are. They, they can collectively work as a single unit, and yet really they don't have any captains or anybody in charge of them. That, you know, creation just speaks of the marvels of our creator. And... Uh, they can carry their own body weight, I don't know how many times over. Turn with me in the New Testament to Second Thessalonians 2, where Paul addresses Christians and work. The Proverbs tells us, if you're slothful, we've all seen sloths and just how slow they are in getting around. <clears throat> but Paul was a guy, he makes a point, he wants you to know that um, he was a hard worker. So let's pick it up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul did not want people to say that um, you're a freeloader and you're, um, um, you're here just to have our food. No, Paul says we worked. We didn't want you to have the wrong idea about it. One of the reasons we don't take a collection on Sunday morning here, um, and I'm not opposed to people in churches that, that take a collection, uh, I teach on money. When we get in that part of the Bible, it talks about money. Then we'll talk about money. All we do is we explain, yes, there's, there's tithes and offerings, and we have uh, boxes at, uh, in the back in several places, and we just put a little note in the bulletin, it says, if you're new and you're wondering about how you do things with tithes and offerings, there's a love box in the back. Because we don't want people to come and say, well, the only reason that they go to church is they're only talking about money. Well, I'll talk about money when, that, when we get to those scriptures and we'll, we'll deal with it. But for the very reason, we want the, the emphasis to be on um, watch us. No, here's Paul saying, this is how it's done. Watch us. We command you to watch us. 
not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but they're simply busybodies. They're just blah, 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 going around. Instead of working, they're going around blabbering. And those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And then we have the doxology at the end here. Paul was a tent maker. When he went around um, so that he wouldn't uh, have his needs, he, he would have his needs met by making tents. So we actually have an expression. In, mission, in the mission field, in, in the Calvary chapels, we call it tent making. Um, when you go out to plant, um, we started with one and with 25 people, now there's 1,500 in the states alone. But they all pretty much started the same way. Um, when I got here, it was four of us, I think, and uh, I painted houses for seven years. I loved it, because it's a mindless job, number one, and I could listen to music or Chuck studies all day long. And it was great. And um, then, then we'd have, have our, our Bible studies. But wor- the work ethic was really modeled by Chuck. Chuck's got some great work jobs. Uh, my favorite one that he likes to tell is, is picking up people who had just died and taking them. He'd get uh, uh, 10 bucks a head, he'd say, for them. And he'd have to go pick them up. And he's telling this one story where he's taking the body back to the morgue after picking it up, and rigor mortis sets in, and the body sits up, and he looks in the rear mirror, and here's a stiff looking at him. <laughs> I, think, I think Chuck would have, I would have died. <laughs> but Chuck's got some great, great stories about his, his different jobs that he did, and he, <laughs> I think somebody just got it. <laughs> Well, you know, you know that some people think that pastors only work for one hour a week on Sunday. I want to tell you that's not true. I work for two hours on Sunday because we have two services. And then an hour here tonight, so that makes three. So there, that, that, I want to put that rumor to an end. We work more than one hour here. I work three whole hours all week long. <laughs> All right, so let's, um, let's make our way back to two, and I'm going to go to chapter 20. Again, we'll read it, and we'll come back, and um, there's a couple here I want to pull out of chapter 20. It says, wine is a mockery. Intoxicating drink arouses brawling. We've all heard of bar fights and how they get going. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion, and whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It's honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. The sluggard will not plow because of winter. And again, we just read that, um, being lazy. Therefore, he will beg during the harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep waters, and a man of understanding will draw it out. We'll come back to that one. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Back then, everything was bought and sold by scales, and they would have, the crooks would have two sets of scales. 
So that would be a, a different weights. <clears throat> Even a child is known by his deeds, by whether what he does is pure and right. Uh, the hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord has made both of them do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with bread. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasts. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take the garments of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. <clears throat> Bread gained by deceit is sweet to, the, to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. Every purpose is established by counsel, but by wise counsel, wage war. I heard over 200 retired generals sent um, an open letter to both parties of Congress, the Republicans and the Democrats, begging them not to do this deal in Iran. And um, it comes, a wise counsel wages war. And um, we all know it's not going to be listening to it. It's going to, it's already on its, the course there is set. He who goes about as a tale bearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. That's what they were doing to Herod. They were flattering Herod, and Herod was letting it happen. Whoever causes his father, whoever curses his father or his mother, his lips will be put out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. That's worth repeating. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait up for the Lord and he will save you. It's really the proof of a person's faith to, to uh, trust the Lord. Um, and your faith is actually proven. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord. This is the second time in this chapter that's been said. And a false balance is not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to, to devote rationally something as holy and afterwards to reconsider his vow. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over on them. And the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. David would say something very, very similar. Search me, O Lord, and see if there be any evil way in me. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds the throne. And the glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of the old men is their gray head. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, also do stripes the inner depths of the heart. <clears throat> the two verses I've pulled out and would like to um, go through tonight is verse 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like a deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, this is actually going to be our text for Sunday. I'm not going to tell you my illustration from the New Testament, but I'm going to use one from the Old Testament here on wisdom being shown for the first time with Solomon. So here's, here's the scripture. It says, if a man is smart he will be able to draw out counsel. Um, counsel in the heart of a man is like a deep, it's like way down in there. And how do you get to the bottom of it? Well, a, a wise man will be able to do that. I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is new on the throne. This is just after... I usually start of a, one, one of our, if I'm doing a funeral, I want to make the point that it's better to be at a funeral than a party. But I just don't want to read the verse without giving it some background. I want to show that the statement is made by the wisest man who ever lived. 
So what we have in chapter three is Solomon inheriting the throne and the Lord appears to him. Imagine that, the Lord appears to him and says, whatever you want, you got it. What do you want? And uh, he says, I want a wise and understanding heart. Uh, Solomon had to fill King David's shoes. Now those are some pretty big shoes to fill. He says, but I'm a kid. I don't know how to come out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know what I'm doing. So I need wisdom. And the, the Bible says that this prayer request pleased the Lord because he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for vengeance on his enemies. He didn't ask for long life, but he asked for wisdom. So he said to him, um, verse 11, because you have asked this thing and not, I I told you that part. Well, let's read it anyway. Then God, in verse 11 of chapter three, then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself or riches for yourself or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for an understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like before you, nor shall any rise after you. And then he says, I'm gonna give you some more stuff too. I'm gonna give you honor and I'm gonna make you wealthy. Well, to demonstrate this wisdom, the very first time that it's on display, he goes from this insecure young man who doesn't know anything to becoming the wisest person ever to live, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just think of the wisdom of Daniel or um, any, uh, any of the, the great minds of our time, Einstein or whoever. They weren't, they weren't compared biblically except for Solomon. So how does he demonstrate it? Well, in verse 16 it says, there were two women who were harlots, and they came to the king and they stood before him. They wanted the king to settle the matter. And one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together and there was no one with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And the woman said died in the night because she laid on him. And so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept, laid him in her bosom, and later her child died in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead, but when I examined him in the morning, indeed, it was not my son whom I had born. And then the woman said, no, that's not true, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is mine, and, and that's this, this thing going back and forth. You know, so he said, she said type thing, and you really can't prove it, though there's nobody else in the house. Who, who are you gonna believe? But the, the dead one is your son, And thus they spoke before the king. And then the king said, now remember the proverb, counsel is like a deep well, and a man of understanding will draw it out. Here Solomon has to find out whose mother it really is. So in displaying his wisdom, he does it it this way. He said, the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one, and the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. King says, bring me a sword. So they brought him a sword, and the king says, cut him in half. Divide the living one in two, give, give one half to uh, this mother, and give the other half to the other one. Well, he knew how to get to the bottom of it. He knew that if this child the living child was threatened, that there isn't any mother who wouldn't uh, lay down his life for, uh, for their child. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh my Lord, uh, give the living child, and by no means kill him. Go ahead, let the other woman have him. But the other one said, let him be neither mine nor yours. Cut him up. 
So the king answered and said, give the first woman a living child and by no means kill him. She is a mother. And all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. A wise man, like like counsel, like a deep well, is able to assess it, get to the bottom of it, and bring about a conclusion. He knew the real mom was, he was just fleshing out the real mom. And the way he went about doing it, it would have been enough with the evidence saying, let, let, she could have it. He knew right then. But uh, this other woman really uh, made the big mistake by saying, no, I don't care, cut him up. So that's one of the ones that I wanted to, to pull out for, for, from chapter 20, but there's one more, and it's verse nine, so let's go back to chapter 20, and well, I think we'll be able to get this in. <clears throat> verse nine says, who can say I, I have made my heart clean? I'm pure from my sin. I need you to turn to uh, our last uh, place in the New Testament, which is going to be the book of Romans, chapter 3. book of Romans is um, an absolute necessity in understanding the book of Romans because it, it shows us what we just read in the Proverbs. Can anybody say that their heart is clean? And that they don't have sin. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. How does one become aware of their sinful nature and just how bad we really are? And um, it's found in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to let it speak for itself. I might stop and comment on it but it is the the definitive chapter about none being righteous, no, not one. So in Romans, he says, what advantage is there to being a Jew? And, And what is a prophet of circumcision? He says, much and in every way. Chiefly because to them they were committed the oracles of God. God entrusted the Jewish people with the Bible to maintain it, to keep it, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written. Okay, here's another one of those prophecies. As it is written. That you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say uh, their condemnation is just. And then the question, what then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better than anybody else? Um, Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek or Gentile, that they are under sin. Again, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Proverbs says, can anybody say my heart's pure? I got a pure heart. Can anybody say that? Anybody want to raise their hand and try it? No, I don't see any hands going up. Oh, I just saw one on live stream. You're lying. (laughs) Just seeing if you're still there. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek after God. Gang, if we really got what was going on, we'd be praying all the time and seeking the Lord all the time and seeing the importance of making people aware of their short-sightedness and their need for salvation because of their sin. 
they have all gone out of the way. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We live in a nation that is no longer a Judeo-Christian nation. That, that, that was our foundation, that is our roots. And uh, I do believe we're, we're right for judgment because the majority of our country has absolutely no fear whatsoever of the Lord. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. But you have to have the law before you know you're guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by law is the knowledge of sin. The law has to be exposed. Paul put it this way. He said, I would not have known sin if the Bible said thou shalt not covet. Covetousness. He says, I would have known. But when when the law came, well then death came and brought death to my members. Guilty. It's like a mirror. I look and I read the Bible, I can't do that. Because it's perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. So we want to say amen? Converting the soul. But unless you have the law there in the first place, it doesn't show us uh, our own depravity that there is really none that is right and clean before God. But now the righteousness of God, verse 21, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Why? And here's one of those memory verses that we all have to have memorized. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that uh, you're saved by works and saved by grace because they're mutually exclusive. One wipes out the other one. It's either or. Now, if you are saved, you will do good works. They will follow. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your rewards when when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you're gonna get a reward because you did a good work. The Lord said, when you do a good work, don't let nobody know about it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because your father who sees in secret, he's gonna reward you openly. For what? Your good works. Not for your salvation, good works, but a reward. So we're encouraged to do good works. It's just for your benefit. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because uh, in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Uh, God is just. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to pay the penalty. And that's why Jesus is the only way a person can get to heaven. That's why there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law or works? No, by the law of faith. Now therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. The last verse I'll share is this. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. Don't think that. The law is absolutely necessary for us to understand we're sinners. So don't think I've come 
to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. Now, the only person that could raise their hand, like I said earlier, anybody here got a pure heart? There's only one man who's ever walked this planet that can raise his hand, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law. And, uh, and then what we, we have, what I like to call the great exchange, and that's Second um, Corinthians 5, verse 21, I think. And um, it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, and then he gave us his righteousness, the great exchange. And so as we look at the Proverbs tonight, uh, the last one that we dealt with and I want to leave you with, none of us can say we have a pure heart. But because God is just and uh, there was one man, God, God in the flesh, who did live the perfect life, he gave you and me his righteousness and he took our sin. That is meant to produce one thing in your heart, a very, very grateful sinner. Amen? Just being grateful, offering a sacrifice of praise, that's why we like to sing songs. We got something to sing about. That's good news. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word tonight as we make our way through the Bible, finding ourselves in the Proverbs. We touched on several issues tonight from um, not being lazy, being a hard worker, um, just the importance, Lord, of, of, of the gospel. And we see also, Lord, um, wisdom and, and how, how to um, draw this out of people by your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us that same wisdom and that Solomon had. I pray for your people as we go out tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.